and we will begin looking at verse 21, and we're going to read down through verse 38. Um, again, I preface this with the fact that uh, many of us are well aware we've been kind of looking at the Gospel of John and attempting to just humbly ask the question, why is John's Gospel different or seemingly has a unique style of writing and approach to things. We know that John was John, and, and uh, Matthew was Matthew, and Luke was Luke, and Mark was not Mark, and so you're going to get a different flavoring from individuals and personalities, but John seems to have a unique purpose in mind. He seems to be a writer of uh, the, the scriptures at a later time period in which he began to see what happens to second-generation Christianity after Christianity has kind of taken its initial spark, it's begun to do its, its impact and influence on the world. And then after uh, this, uh, this passion and love and purity of the faith, the simplicity of faith, it begins to lose its distinctive edge and Christianity kind of gets in a settled position. And that's something that you and I are constantly attempting to look at and work through is uh, we begin with a little bit of a, a boost when we first come to faith. We seem to have a, a fresh newness to the life we have. And then after a while, we seemingly need um, a boost of God's grace and His love and His power all over again in our lives. John seems to be on the cutting edge of the uniqueness of maintaining a fresh life with God Himself and a life that cherishes the truth and it actually impacts the world around him. And so his difference uh, is, is difficult to fully explain, but we know that it is different if you're familiar with the Gospels. Uh, some of these unique things that add to that blend and allow it to uh, speak into our lives are the things that we were trying to attempt to look at and to break down and, and uh, learn from these. The Gospel of John chapter 13, uh, we'll begin by looking at verse 21 and read down through uh, verse uh, 38 to get us started this morning. John chapter 13, recognize that your grace and your plan of salvation truly ministers to the tenderness of our hearts when sin of our past produces guilt and seems to hold us back. It seems to tie us down. We seem to be overwhelmed with our mistakes. We seem to be beside ourselves, wondering, is there really any change that takes place in my heart? Even though we have these longings and desires to know you, Lord, it seems as if our discouragement and failures seem to be greater than our commitment and devotion to you. We pray, God, that as we consider again the concept of the beauty of grace and how that mixes together with passion to rise again, I pray, Lord, that you'd impress upon us through your Spirit the things in which you've called us to do and the place you allow our heart to move into. We pray that you would be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look in these verses, we cannot help but think, how could some of these things take place? Uh, we all know that we all struggle with various things, that sometimes those of us with a very sensitive spirit, we seem to be discouraged quite often. Uh, those of us that uh, seemingly have a little bit more of a trust that Jesus has paid it all, 
we may be able to kind of coast through life without being overwhelmed a whole lot with guilt because we know that it's all under the blood of Jesus and somehow it's all paid for. And, and wherever we come from in life, it seems like it kind of sets us up for one kind of failure or another. Uh, not really sure where Judas is coming from. I'm wondering if he just assumed that somehow Jesus would take care of the tab regardless of what he did and he began to live a unique kind of lifestyle with his own agenda going on and his own uh, uh, types of commitments and all those things to the point that he would truly betray Jesus. It just doesn't seem to compute in any way how anybody could do that. Uh, but then Peter, he seems to have a lot of confidence and he does something that many people would say, what's the difference? Uh, the point we need to uh, humbly look at is uh, however we process grace and however we interpret the forgiveness and that cushion of God's love, mercy, and grace has a, a, a huge impact on, on where you and I go through life. And John's intent is to help us to, to understand that not so much that one sin is bigger than the other, but grace is bigger than regardless of how big that sin is. And because that grace is there, there always seems to be this invitation to uh, be reconciled to a relationship that we can pick up and move on. Some of us, that's an easy thing, and others of us, that's not so easy. Once again, we're kind of stuck with our perceptions of life. We're stuck with our interpretations of of uh, what is sin and our interpretations of what are the unthinkable things that we can do in life. Last week, we, we touched upon the fact that the religious leaders thought that they had Jesus really cornered. The biggest sin they could come up with, or the most obvious one, was one that was part of the ten. A woman caught in adultery, and they seemed to believe that somehow, because we've got clear laws connected with a clear command, with clear consequences that anyone who would do such an unthinkable thing, the scriptures clearly teach that that person must die. They must be stoned. What they did not take into the account was that God himself, who wrote the law, also had instituted with his own law that there is a Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so the confidence isn't so much that uh, uh, one sin would cost or create such a penalty, but the same law that promises the standard of holiness, God has put within that law a means or a substitute which allows grace to continue to happen in our life. Uh, we are well aware that, particularly when we are followers of Jesus Christ, that we're very fortunate for this huge covering of grace. We're extremely fortunate to know that, uh, that as, as sin abounds, uh, grace increases all the more. We are fortunate to have that. But the question might be is, how does that affect where our journey is today? How does that affect within the kind of commitment we have today? How does it play into uh, not so much how we handle when we sin, but what does it do to us in our commitment to serving? It's one thing to be caught in sin because we have done something wrong. It's another to be paralyzed by even our concept of grace to where our passion and love for God and serving Him has lost its glow. As we think in terms of these scriptures, we realize that the Judas situation is unique and different in the sense that his was a, a betrayal of one kind in which 
his intent, his desire, his, 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 his longing was not in restoration. It uh, was different in Peter's sense because Peter, we find later on, is, is restored. And we're not going to spend time trying to overanalyze the differences. The question is, have you and I in our journey come to a place where we are fully convinced like Peter, we would do anything for Jesus? I will lay down my life for him. If all fall away, not me. Because that in itself is an honorable place to be, and yet it is a very vulnerable spot to take a stand. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that God is able to not only cleanse us of the past, he's not only able to break the power of the slavery to sin in our lives, or the controlling influences of our life, but he also has the power to set us free so that we might be able to rise again and serve him with great passion and great devotion. It's one kind of sin to not be obedient. It's another kind of sin to not be faithful. And these are some of the things that uh, uh, play into the background to this particular story. I mean, Peter could have simply accepted the fact that, well, it is what it is because grace has covered it all. And somehow we need to look at this a little bit closer to try to understand some interesting thing, faithful and diligent in serving Christ, yet knowing there's grace for that as well. There's the goodness and favor of God even for those of us who have uh, lost that first love, that passion to keep uh, serving. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 22, we find a couple extra ingredients that might play into uh, what some people might call the, the Peter syndrome. Luke chapter 22, we look at verse 31 through 34. One thing I think when we, just touching back to where we came from in John's gospel is, uh, no doubt that Peter was well aware that Jesus is concerned about a betrayer in the pack. Now, he would be the last one to think that he's anything close to that. And so we learn from uh, what was taking place, and they just had the institution of the holy sacraments. Uh, communion was shared, uh, the blood was applied, and the, bro- the bread was broken, and his body is being presented clearly as that substitute for sin. Though his disciples didn't really understand it, you could imagine the more that Jesus talked about going all out, Peter's believing, I'm already there. I am right there. I am fully confident that uh, I am not going to fall for those kinds of things. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to lay down my life. And there is that Peter. Some of us, we lean that way, and some of us may lean another way. But for those of us that have come to a place in our commitment to Christ, we've come to a place in our devotion to live for God, that sometimes we may feel as if we pretty much have settled that issue. We're going all out for God. There's no turning back. I've decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me, still I will follow. It's an honorable thing to come to a place where we have that kind of devotion. But it's a humbling thing to realize it's not within me, it's not within you. And sometimes God allows circumstances to take place, not because he wants to prove a point. It's just that so tomorrow we're going to come out stronger. We need a lot of grace and a blessing and coverage of God because to the best of us who we're all out for Jesus, 
uh, we may find we're in surprise. Luke 22 is, is, is rather revealing to us because behind your passion is someone who wants to get at it. Behind your devotion, the devil does his greatest work. It's one thing for the devil to tempt you for various kinds of of uh, sins in your life and the secretness of your heart and in the, in the privacy of your own journey. The devil's pretty good about getting at a weak spot. He's pretty good about chipping away at something that somehow becomes a unique kind of temptation to you and I. But this one is a unique kind that each and every one of us who have pretty much you know, decided we're all going all out for Jesus, there's a whole new kind of of struggle that takes place. Luke chapter 22, beginning verse 31. Uh, it's really the same account, but it's presented a little way, differently. In other words, he intensifies his strategy. He has a way of, of sifting the best out of us. He has a, a way of coming, and somehow we think, Jesus, wait a minute now. You prayed that our faith would not fail. What about praying that this guy gets out of here or out of my life? Well, as you and I uh, gain a kind of commitment to Christ, we've got a devotion, uh, we've got a desire to live for Him. We, we would do anything to, to be faithful to Christ. It's at those times that we realize that the devil, uh, how he's aware of that, I can't honestly tell you, but he probably listens to your prayer life, and he probably is well aware of any times of commitment that the Spirit of God is working in your life, and, and you do one of those, Jesus, I'll do everything and anything for you. Somehow he has access to knowing where your passion really is. But his purpose is to take that passion from you because that passion is going to touch somebody's life. That passion is going to change somebody's world. That passion can resolve many of the relationship struggles we face, whether it's with our own family members, our loved ones, everything else. He has a way of uniquely working in a way that he takes away your passion because it seems as if he's happier that you believe in Jesus, but it doesn't do anything. Then if we don't believe in Jesus, he probably doesn't seem to bother us nearly as much. At least that's certainly the way we process it. Many of us are well aware when you decide to open your heart up and really say, Lord, I really want to live for you. It's at that point or soon after we realize I didn't really have a problem with a lot of these struggles yesterday, but now I want to get right, I want to do it right, I want to be right, and now I face all kinds of unique uh, challenges and pressures and problems in life. Well, what allows Peter to remain confident is he seems to be the personality who says, I'm going to show you, Lord. Many of us, we might have a little bit of that working in our lives. I mean, nobody wants to simply accept the fact that Satan's going to get a good punch and we're going to just roll over and let him punch us. You know, when we're trying to live for Jesus, there's something about that. Usually those kinds of people that make those kinds of commitments, they believe that they're fully capable in themselves of doing what others are not doing. The challenge we face is what do we do with this devil? What do we do with this enemy who wants to sift us like wheat? Again, we could sense his momentum building. Uh, Jesus uh, had just administered, uh, we had mentioned, the holy sacraments to his disciples. And, and so their faith is kind of in supercharged mode. They recognize a little bit of foretaste about the fact that Jesus really loves them. And 
he's entrusting them with the keys to the kingdom and, and all the dynamics that have played in that or whatever dynamics have played into those times in your life where you truly said, I'm all out for Jesus. However that came to be, if someone says, like Jesus, <laughs> Satan's going to sip you like wheat, our immediate reaction is, I got a plan. I got a strategy. I know how to handle this one. Devil's been beating on me for this way and that way, but I got it. I know how to live a life of victory. The truth is, I've heard sermons, many sermons, on how Peter could have passed the test. He could have succeeded. I don't doubt that there are things that you can learn about dealing with uh, the, the blows that the enemy gives. I've also heard sermons that basically say Peter was set up and he's going down and Jesus' plan was how to pick him back up and those seem to be credible, they seem to be valid. There's a lot of things we can learn. But the question I might ask as we think about this is, where do we play into the story? Have we ever come to the place where we honestly have said, I'll go to prison? Have you ever thought about things like this? Would you really go all out for Jesus if it seems to hit hard against us? Because Satan wants to rob us of passion. He wants to maybe even tell us because of a, a, a lot of information about uh, grace that we really are not overcomers. We really are not a people of victory. We really are a people who simply are sinners saved by grace. And I realize as true as those things are, the challenge that it presses upon me is where is our commitment and devotion to Christ? Have we accepted the fact that grace will always be there and it really doesn't matter? As a matter of fact, it might even be good advice. Peter, just keep quiet. Why would you open your mouth and say you would go all out for Jesus? When you've got a good idea, Satan's going to say, it's test time. It's so much easier uh, sometimes to be a follower of Christ and play it safe. It's so much easier to be claim to be a follower of Christ and not get too sincere about God. I mean, you've got to have a sense of humor and you've got to realize that it's not really you that saves the world. So why get too excited about Jesus? And that's the challenge that we, we must personally deal with is, is have we, we settled for less with under the disguise that God is the one that does it all, but really it's, I don't want to get too excited about this because there's a good chance I am going to have to pay a price. In Mark's gospel, it's a little different emphasis than simply uh, 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 Satan's unique part in that. But in Mark chapter uh, 14, we'll look at verse uh, 29. Once again, we touch upon the things that can be uh, working in their minds and in their hearts. There's a special emphasize, emphasis in Mark's gospel, chapter 14 and verse 29. Peter declares, even if all fall away, I often a tendency or a temptation to compare ourselves with others. Uh, the, the key is, is whatever God has is, is laid upon our heart, whatever the truth is presented to us, we must understand the beauty and the importance of a passionate life that would indeed say, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere uh, to serve you, Lord. And uh, so sometimes when we think about grace, we might think of uh, pretty much the reasons why we wouldn't get too excited about this Jesus guy. Let's go back to uh, John chapter 21. Uh, John chapter 21, and we want to look at verses 15 uh, through 18. Now here's where the real application comes. Is, uh, no doubt I'm 
I'm speaking to everyone, but you could imagine as uh, Peter is now maturing in years, he's journeyed on like John. John uh, is writing his gospel about accounts that took place when these guys were young. He's talking about himself in there and Peter and, and Thomas and Philip and all the struggles they had. But as, as John matures in life, he's writing his gospel to second generation. Peter is writing as well to second generation Christians. You'll notice the experience that we referred to is alluded to in 1 Peter chapter 5. And verse 8 through 11. He writes to you and he writes to me. The enemy knocked me down. He put me out. He stole my passion. He destroyed my love for Jesus Christ for a moment. But because you and I have a Savior who pours out grace and a Savior who's able to restore us, a Savior who is able to work in our lives to bring us back to the place we are well aware of the punch of the enemy, but we are more aware of how he makes us stronger through these circumstances. The important thing is we can beat ourselves up for losing our passion, and we can humbly say to the Lord, in the ears of the devil, I'm back. The challenge that you and I have is can we not arrogantly but confidently not out of pride but out of humility say Lord I want to give my life to you I want to give it all I want to live for you because the things of the world are really not worth pursuing that much and the temptations of life as great as they might be I don't need any excuses I simply want to commit my life to the point that we could say go to prison with you and lay down my life. That seems pretty big, but most of us are well aware we already prayed it once. The devil wants us to say, no, I'll only commit something small because I don't want to go too big. I'll commit something safe. I really don't want to stick myself out there. Grace becomes a power and strength in your life and mine when we understand what a true love to Jesus Christ looks like. And I trust as we continue to grow as, as God's people, and we continue to journey on through life, we might humbly realize there's something honorable about giving it all to Christ. But there's something beautiful, how he can make us stronger for round two. The one thing about boxing is the bell dings, you get a break, but it's not over. Till all the punches are thrown. And it sounds awful to think that we've got to go through this life and particularly our passion is, is somewhat related to that kind of an atmosphere as a constant contact. But what strengthens us is the assurance that if he knocks me down, Jesus, my intercessor, is going to pick me back up. It's one thing to believe that possibly we carry around guilt and shame for the past of our sins, it's another to deal with the fact that some of us, maybe all of us, we've lost the glow of that first love. God's purpose and plan is to strengthen us, 
It's to pull us back into the fight. It's to bring us to a place where even the devil can't take our passion. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you for your, your love that just won't quit. We pray, oh God, as we, we press on, that we might recognize the beauty of maturing, that we might recognize the importance of maturing, Oh, that we might recognize that without faith, a faith that takes a punch, a faith that has passion, without faith, it's impossible to please you. But we believe that you exist and that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We believe that not only you exist, but you reward those who diligently seek you. We're back, Lord, and we thank you for that. We pray that as we establish our relationship again with you that we'd be confident that you've never left us as we give ourselves to you we pray through the power of your spirit that we might find courage and strength restore us lord in jesus name amen god bless you have a great day